Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word, and we do ask, Lord, that you be with us, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me the gift of teaching, bless this morning, keep our eyes focused on you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I just got back from North Carolina yesterday. Um, it was nine degrees in the morning when I would take the kids to school. Our son and his wife went on a little anniversary trip to New York, New York, and so I got to be with the kids a couple days, and so that was, that was fun. So this does not seem cold at all to me. It's Actually, I feel a little warm, but... But anyways, we went over the introduction last time, and so I'm not going to go into all of it again, just a few little things. And so if you need to listen online to catch up on that study, you can go to calvaryqueencreek.org, and then to media, and then it'll say message library, and then you scroll all the way down, and the women's ministry is there, and the introduction is just 17 minutes, so it's got a lot of history. So we're going to begin our verse-by-verse study in the first chapter of First. Thessalonians, and our title is Caught Up in the Gospel. So we're going to begin by reminding ourselves, as we stated last time, that we are pilgrims passing through. And we talked about how the things we can get caught up in. We can get caught up in worry, finances, health issues, children, frustrations, the what-ifs of life, the world and how it presses in on us on what we should look like or be. Um, There's things we can get caught up in. And some things we can get caught up in are, of course, valuable for a season. But what is our main focus and what are we marked by? And so let's remember that as we go through. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy, to the church, and the church means a called out people, so that's us, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, our author of these letters or epistles, writes these letters in response to the church plant he did with Silas and Timothy. And we give a lot of credit to Paul, and rightly so, but he did work with the team often, and this time with Silas and Timothy. And teams are important. No one can do it alone. Uh, a good team is a blessing, and here at the church we have a great team as a pastoral staff and great teams in every ministry. I'm so blessed in women's ministry. I have so many people that help. All of this would not be possible without them. And so here Paul mentions the men he worked with. So he was there in Thessalonica, possibly for months, this ancient city of Macedonia in northern Greece, and he taught there for three consecutive Sabbaths, and after only three weeks of prosperous ministry— In Acts 17, 2, he had to flee from an angry mob, and he moved on to Berea, again ministering for several weeks, but once again driven out by that same Thessalonian mob. And so as we stated last time, Timothy had been sent back to Thessalonica to check on this thriving, persecuted church, and when he returned to Paul, he let, them, he let him know there's some confusion here. They don't really understand some of the things you taught. Can we get some clarity? And so that's where these letters were penned from. So he clearly states who he's writing to in verse 1, to the church in Thessalonica, who are in, means they're committed to, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as you know, is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, God incarnate, Christ means the anointed one. It's not his last name, as Pastor Jim often says. Christ wasn't is the Messiah, the Son of God. So Acts 16.31. So they said, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 20.21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So the basis of their church body and ours as well is that basis for hope, which we're going to be talking about, that hope that gives us endurance and it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What a great thing to look forward to. And as he opens his letter, Paul extends grace and peace to this receiving church. And many of his letters, he does the same. Colossians 1, 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of you know grace is defined as getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. That's one piece of grace. Uh, mercy which we will see in many of Paul's letters added to grace and peace. You can find that in pl many places, but 1 Timothy 1, 2 is, is one of them. And you know, most likely, that mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And we do deserve hell, but we don't get it, thankfully. And peace, mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians, um, the way that leads to peace is salvation, ultimately. And I read this definition of peace for the Christian. The tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. And so I'm going to read it again, and I had someone share this morning about their daughter who's going to be having surgery tomorrow, and this definition fit what she shared, knowing she's going to go in and have brain surgery. She was right here. So it's the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. Now, I don't think we are always hanging right there, fearing nothing or being content, but without Christ, I don't see how we can even begin to be without fear or have contentment because clearly this first verse in First Thessalonians tells us these attributes are from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's move to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, give thanks for all the church always, and they pray for them. And I'm like, wow, always, that's a big word. James 5, 13 through 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And singing psalms is a form of prayer because it's communion with God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so prayer is very vital. Um, I have a prayer group that I'm in once a week. It's a texting prayer group. And we have seen answered prayers. But most importantly, we have been encouraged and edified and strengthened in our trials and encouraged in being caught up in the gospel. Staying right there when our discouragements or disappointments can come 
or we can struggle with family issues, prodigals, health, the world, distractions. We also can praise God together for answered prayers. And so if you don't have a little prayer group that maybe you pray once a week and fast, I would encourage you to do it because we do need one another. And also an important there in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that thankful attitude. Do you thank the Lord for the people he has placed in your life? And do you thank them as well? And we do not do what we do as believers for thanks, but it sure is nice to be thanked at times. But most importantly is giving that thanks to the Lord, for from him is where our blessings come from. You can look up thanks in a Bible concordance and you will find many, many verses. And so I'm just going to give you a few to jot down. First Chronicles 16:34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Second Corinthians 1:11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So thanks is very important. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So they remember without ceasing, without intermission, they don't forget. And what are the things that they do not forget? Three things, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. And these three things, faith, love, and hope, are abstract. You can't pick them up and handle them and touch them, but they become concrete, so to speak, when we activate them. And this takes us to jump to verse 9 and 10, and then we're going to come back to verse 4 and then go through and finish up. So I'm going to connect them to verse 9 and 10. So I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so we're going to match these up from the abstract to the somewhat concrete. In other words, we're going to activate them practically, practical application, from verse 3 to these in 9 and 10. So as you look at verse Three, you see your work of faith. And in verse 9, you see you turned to God from idols. So first they turned to God, then they turned from idols. So there was that conviction of the truth, then the action. The work of faith is acting upon the word of God. And it has been said, we are not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that works. And this can be a big topic, so we're going to read through some verses. So I would like you to go ahead and turn to James chapter 2, and we're going to read 14 through 26. James 2, 14 to 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so there is a beautiful blend here between faith and works. And so we're going to read John six twenty-eight and 29. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And so we cannot add anything to our salvation. It's the work of God. And I'm sure you guys have read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we are saved by grace through faith. Galatians 5, 5 through 6 says, for through the spirit, for though the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. In Colossians 1, 3, and 4, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So we are examples by faith as we are caught up in the gospel, but we know that our works or anything that we show does not earn us salvation. Um... Not by faith, not faith by works, but a faith that works. And so hopefully our faith is working. From belief to action, we should see evidence. Hebrews 10, 22 through 24 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And so this takes us to the second thing, their labor of love in verse 3, which correlates with verse 9, to serve the living and true God. So their labor of love to serve the living and true God in verse 9. So love will labor. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Hebrews 6, 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so God is aware of what you do. And it may seem small at times, But if it's his work, it's exactly where you need to be. Don't think it's insignificant. And as young moms and even as older moms, grandmas, single women, those out in the workforce, we can get weary um, as we do the physical labor of love as well as the spiritual labor of love. Serving your family, serving the church body, praying, serving at your job in honor to the Lord, all these things we can do and maybe not see an instant reward. God does not forget your labor of love. And the bottom line is serve the living and true God despite any outcome. And that's something as I've gotten older, I've had to really take hold of. Um, we, all our kids are not serving the Lord. And I look back on raising them and tucking them in and praying with them and reading to them and doing all those things I did for them. And then I see some of our children who aren't serving the Lord just say, Go to bed and send their kids off to bed. And I'm like, they're going to bed without prayer and without this and without that. And then I'm like, well, look how far it got me. So maybe, 
Maybe I should have just said go to bed. And so, <laughs> but you, you start questioning those things and you're like, well, but you go back to doing the right thing no matter what and not regretting doing the right thing because who are we serving? We're serving the Lord and the outcome God is in charge of. And so that might be, you know, staying pure before marriage. You may stay pure before marriage and then you end up in a divorce and you could say, well, what was the point of all that? Well, you still did what God told you to do, and you still honored him and his principles. So Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so that's what we need to do, keep our focus on him. And I read a saying, I am weary in the work, but not weary of the work. And so when we serve the Lord and we have our eyes on him, this saying could be true of us because we are only human. When we serve the Lord and have our eyes on him, this saying could be true of us because we are human, but God will give us strength. And how can I ever be weary of God's calling? Physically, yes, emotionally, spiritually. But really, when I realize it's for the Lord, then we don't get completely weary. So Isaiah 40, 28 and 30, I'm sure you've heard it before. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. I thought that was so beautiful. That's what we can be. We can speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And so that quiet time with the Lord, always making sure you have that. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so we don't always see the outcome, maybe even in our lifetime, but we'd still need to be faithful. The third thing, their patience of hope in verse three correlates with to wait for his son from heaven. So to await someone with patience and confidence expectantly, it doesn't mean to sit down when company is coming um, what do we do? We usually do all kinds of things to get prepared for them. So we are to occupy till the Lord comes. Luke nineteen thirteen, and he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. So we are not to be idle. And this is a great motivation for soul winning. We need to be looking around, uh, seeing where God may use us on a particular day. And let's have that patient hope as we await his return. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. Romans 8, 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Philippians 3, 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, hope, love, valuable commodities in the Christian walk. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So being caught up in the gospel is a lifestyle, and it's not only about soul winning, which is vital, but it is our work of faith, 
our labor of love and our patience of hope. And it's prayer, it's being an example, and so much more. So let's go back to verse 4, which says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And so election is God's side of the picture. The faith, hope, love we just spoke about is evidence of election. And it's not our place to question God. In Daniel 4.35, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? And so there are dangerous extremes that deny human responsibility or dilute divine sovereignty. Both are taught in the Bible, and so another beautiful blend, just as faith and works are a beautiful blend, so is um, responsibility and divine sovereignty. I read um, of a reputable scholar who said, the same God who ordains the end, which is salvation of the lost, also ordains the means to the end, the preaching of the gospel, which is our part. And the bottom line is that that's our job, is to reach others, look around, be available, be caught up in the gospel. Um, A friend of mine said she's going to get a shirt for her husband. He's such an evangelist, and I love this. It says, heaven is my home, I'm just here recruiting. And I thought, wow, I love that. If we could all, you know, be like that. Heaven is my home, I'm just here recruiting. And so I've been trying, you know, to look around and see you know, who's in my sphere of influence that I can reach. And I, did I tell the story about the girl on the street I picked up? Did I tell that last time? No. Okay. So I was just running home to get something I forgot. Thankfully, we live so close. And then I was running back, well, not running, driving back. And I saw this girl on the street. Um, She was a grade schooler. She was in seventh grade. So she was running down the dirt road and she would stop and go, and then she'd run some more and she'd stop. And so I thought, oh. I'm going to go see what's up with her. So I go drive up to her and I roll down the window and I said, are you late for school? And she's like, yeah. And I said, I know you're not supposed to ride with anybody, but do you want to ride? (laughs) And she's like, I go, well, we're the house over there with the zip line. You can see that right there. That's where we live. And my husband's a pastor over there. And um, I said, so it's up to you. I know you're not really supposed to do it, but it's whatever you think. And she's like, Okay, so she gets in the car, and I go, don't let a guy pick you up. And so, so I take her to the school, which my sister works at. And I said, oh, and by the way, my sister is at this school, Mrs. Miller. And she's like, oh, I love Mrs. Miller. And I said, well, tell her, her sister says hello when you get in there. And so she did. But anyways, before she left, and we talked about a lot of things, and she was going to a church, and um, anyways... Long story short, before she left, I said, before you leave, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And I said, what would you like prayer for? And she goes, well, my grades and, and I said, well, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. And she said, well, um, I've had childhood trauma and I'm going to be getting a new counselor and I want to make sure it's the right counselor. And she shared a little bit. So it was great that she shared. And so I just was able to put my hand on her and pray over her. And she was so sweet. She just looked at me and she said, thank you so much. And then she went in and told my sister that she met me. And my sister said, you made quite an impression on her. So that made me feel good. But just was neat to take the opportunity, look around um, so that we can be caught up in the gospel. Um, But if we don't stay in the word where the gospel is clearly found, we're not prepared. So we always have to be prepared. So 
back to first, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so that is the gospel, forgiveness, the heart of the gospel, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures the good news, glad tidings. And, and then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 1.5, which is the verse we were all to memorize. Hopefully you guys tried to take hold of that. For our gospel did not come, in, come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And 1 Corinthians 2.5, That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so it's not just words, it's the power of God. And, and I want to share the gospel, but it can't be my wisdom or my plans. It must be his Our gospel message cannot or rather should not be just words. Yes, words are vital and we should not shrink away from proclaiming the truth, but the power of the spirit must be evident and leading us. And so I just got back from North Carolina and I went to see our son, who's our second son, and he's married and they adopted four kids and still have two in the home and they're going to go away on an anniversary trip, which they did. Um, And so before I left on this trip, I was like, I'm teaching, I'm being caught up in the gospel, so I'm going to witness on the plane and all this stuff's great stuff's going to happen. And, you know, you get on the plane and everybody just plugs right in, you know, and it's not like you can say, hey, wait a minute, I want to talk to you, you know, so I didn't do that. Um, But I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, Lord, I wanted to share the gospel, but he didn't have it for me on the way. And so then I got there with our son and um, I just... You know, we talk a lot, but that's the good thing about him is he'll share where he's at with the Lord and I'll share. And we do have really great conversations. So that was a blessing. But um, I, I learned by the end of the trip, because on the way back, I got on the plane and the plane was half empty, three rows in front of me, three rows in back. And so no people again. And I was like, man. So, um, but I realized by the end of the trip, as I was praying, that really what my trip was about was that labor of love just going there and serving their family and cleaning out the refrigerator or the microwave and watching the kids and the animals and taking them to school and just giving that labor of love. And so sometimes the gospel speaks in different ways. But yes, we do want to speak. So, And we did have some great conversations. But anyways, I was just kind of wanting my trip to be a certain way and I realized that it was something different and that's okay. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So the power of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, even amidst hard times, these outworkings that show forth he's working in their lives, they were examples and he can work in our lives as well. Sweet and sour can be a blend in the Christian life. Suffering and joy can go together. These Thessalonica believers became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, even amidst their afflictions. An example to all just after a few months of being a church. 
Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So he is with us as well, and we can take the example of the Lord has given us, and they have given us as well, this church, to be an example of the Lord as they were. So we're going to dissect these few verses to see the example they set. Verse 6a, they followed spiritual leaders. It says, and you became followers of us. And so that's the first thing. That's the first example. Um, they followed spiritual leaders. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so we don't want people to follow us if we're not following Christ. Uh, the second thing in verse 6b, they followed the Lord. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Mark 1.17, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Luke 9.23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then in 6b, they suffered for Christ. That's the third thing. Having received the word in much affliction in verse 6 there. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Philippians 1, 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So we are going to be suffering for the Lord. Verse 7, they encouraged other churches. That's the fourth example. It says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 11, it says, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you were also doing. And so the darker it gets, the more I need my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I'm sure the more you guys need it as well. So back to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. For from you, the, Lord, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in, in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So their reputation went ahead of them. Another great example for us, they were caught up in the gospel. John thirteen fifteen. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Philippians 3.17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Ultimately, that's what we're to do. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, impurity, all those ways that we can be examples. So now we're going to go to back to 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, which we mostly covered, but the very tail end we did not. So I want to finish off that last part as we close up. So I'm going to read 9 and 10 again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That last piece, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So I'm going to quickly give you some verses on the wrath that will take place for those who have not received Christ as their savior before they die. And this should concern us and should give us a desire to be caught up in the gospel by giving it out. So Jeremiah 10.10, 10, 
But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Romans 2.8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Colossians 3.6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so for the believer in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, which we will get to in weeks ahead, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew 13, 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And so we have eyes and ears that hear, and so we're super blessed. So we need to be caught up in the gospel by our focus on Jesus, that others may see our work of faith, that conviction of the truth, our labor of love for others, and our patience of hope eagerly awaiting our Savior's return. So we are not appointed to wrath, but may our desire for others to be in that same category spur us on to be caught up in the gospel and to give it out to a dying world that they may be caught up in the gospel as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time in the word, Lord. I know that there's so much more in these verses, and I pray as we go to our small groups that we would glean from one another, that we would challenge one another in our faith and in uh, being caught up in the gospel. May our lives be different, and as we go through the study in 1 Thessalonians, may we see a change when May comes and we look back to see all we've learned and how we've grown. In Jesus' name, amen.